Are we actually live? Are we? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Oh, fucking shit. Welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the cosmos from independent validator teams. Welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the cosmos from independent validator teams. I think we get only more shambolic every week with with our intros. There's only so much. There's only so much high quality rugging you can actually sort of do off the cuff. I think is what I'm learning as we go into this forty second episode. Um, I I I don't want to open the show with trash talk, but by God, I'm going to. Uh, but I did notice there was that. Um, I, I, is this? The, I don't know if this is 100 percent the drama du jour, but the uh, prop 89 on the hub. Uh, which maybe is the drama du jour um, about asking for community funds for doing videos. And they were like, oh, since July or, or June or, or something, we've done 11 videos. So I was like, 11 videos. Sounds like a holiday, bro. <laughs> I saw, I, I went and looked at them. They're, they're really, I think I've seen a couple of those before. They're pretty nice. Do you but feel like their, 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 their production quality is probably a bit higher? It, it is. There's like green screens and shit, but they're only like 10 minutes long, like 14 minutes. So if we do 42 times 90, versus 16 videos times 10 minutes. I mean, we should be getting a thousand atom of episode here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's, what's what's what that? are we doing? Um, well, I guess we're not validating the hub, number one. Yeah, oh, wait, wait, point. wait. Sure, so you validate the hub, don't you? He does. There you go. See? Big I voted watching. yes. I, I voted in, yes. Put in for some cash for us, bro. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, I could. Yeah, as a response to it. Hey, they, they got... Number 90. I mean, the thing is, though, is it's like, what is it? It's 300 Adam for monthly funding for a period of six months. I, is it three, 300 I, per total? 300, uh, no, per month. So oh, per month. Yeah. what's 300 times six? Somebody with maths. 1,800. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was too hard. <laughs> yeah. So that's what, $20,000? <laughs> uh, uh, it's well, what is it? It's uh, nine sixty-two. Yeah, yeah, seventeen so grand. Seventeen grand. That's a lot of money for eleven videos. Is it for eleven videos? They... Let's see. Is that eleven more? I don't know. But that that's for that's paying well, from the rears, right? Yeah, but then it yeah, I guess it depends. It depends who wait. So if you went to like an ad agency and were like, "Give me eleven mm-hmm. videos," it would probably cost you about twenty grand, I reckon. Yeah, uh, I would say probably even more than that. I guess yeah. it depends what you want in them. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess that, yeah. maybe maybe that's why we're not worth a thousand Adam per video. Yeah. But then maybe. equally, yeah. if you were yeah. like, if you just like went to an independent um, like videographer or something, and you were like, I don't mind using stock footage to pad it out a bit, but like on the, these topics, I reckon you could do it for that. I wouldn't be too surprised anyway, but. You don't pay I, me I, sh- shit for creating the podcast, so this is kind of bullshit. Yeah, I mean, we're all just, we're all just, you know, whatever. I mean, <laughs> even to, to be fair, our Streamyard subscription on its own. Okay, dot, yeah, we all we obviously use some software behind the scenes. Uh, definitely makes Game of Nodes a loss. I think <laughs> the aggregate, <laughs> like, but by the yeah. time you add up all of the the fiddling we have to do to make this work every week, plus the time and the time. Uh, like I, I know, I know we look really disorganized, but there is a little bit of there is a little bit of extra. 
Anyway, and, wow. and this week, man, spending spending one single cent makes fucking game of nodes a loss. <laughs> I, we should call out the amount of effort being put into the spreadsheet this week. I saw at least three or four separate contributions by three or four members of this group, which is, I think, as the bag gets uh, high water, the spreadsheet gets uh, the spreadsheet gets more attention. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. My, uh, to the bear. Well, why? Why bother maintaining your nodes? They're not making you money. But the spreadsheet, spreadsheet. is a good procrastination rather than looking. The at Nelkin the contributions price. were more or less just complaining about shit with comments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just got like, complained at, and then one one comment asked asked me <laughs> why null could not tag me that's right i'm like number one what am i am i the google tech support guy and number two (laughs) you have just tagged me why can't i why can't i fucking add alex is what it says (laughs) why can't i I just do the thing Uh, but when i like when i comment and when i type at you just don't come up yeah, that's what the comment says. <laughs> we get it. It goes off of well, whatever. It's not. It's not important. Anyway, <laughs> joking aside, I actually don't have a problem with Prop eighty nine. I'd probably be like, eh. I guess like from the from the being cynical, they're going to do it anyway. Why should you pay for it? That were they my- were they asking for in the for the eleven that they completed or eleven uh, new ones? I think it was eleven completed, right? I kind I kind of like the. I, what a novel idea to be paid after the work is complete. That's something. That's something maybe other projects could look at. <laughs> not just not just throwing two million dollars at somebody. Wonder, who uh, who could you be referring? To I don't know. Maybe there's other, other proposals we could refer to. But they did ask after they did eleven and they came back for it. So whatever, there's value there. Then great. Well, to be fair to them, they went and they did the work and they, they did. didn't like hire thirty people to try and. Uh, you know do the work and then yeah and then find out that they you know were actually not a sustainable business venture look we'll i'll have to see if they shit talk everybody on twitter because i think that's kind of part of the funding process as well right the projects have to get out there and fucking, <laughs> so you, know, fucking go to you, don't, you don't understand <laughs> i actually uh, so i've interacted with cosmic validators before i think they're they're nice folks and it's such a modest ask, in my opinion, yeah. for, for what they're actually doing. Um, they do engage on Twitter and everything. They're trying to like be a good, positive influence on the ecosystem. And for, for again, for the modest ask for how much effort they're probably putting into actually making them, I just... I, I, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably vote yes. I don't validate the hub, but if, if we did, probably, yeah. probably vote yes. Really, it's really... A, you're right. I mean, it's maybe, not, you know, maybe it's the... Maybe that money will help them, you know, become like a nice, good hub for news for the for the cosmos, and it might attract other people. You know, maybe it'll be worth yeah. it. Well, also- the question is though whether they. I mean, I don't know how how, how big are they validator on the hub because the flip side is right. that like right. they probably could just pay for this from their commissions. Right, I think they're fairly small. Yeah, they are number one seventy one right now. So four above the bottom. So and there there are a lot of YouTube personalities who validate, right? So yeah. is this the, is this opening the floodgate to some of those coming in and say, hey, what the you know? Because I, I agree. I mean, part of it is the the validator is the revenue piece of that. Because I mean, you would think that their position is in line with with whatever effort is happening on the 
<clears throat> on the YouTube side, and if they're if they're getting visibility out of it, it's creating it's creating delegations, and that should be the one that pays for it, right? Kind of similar how successful Game of Nodes is for the four of us. I mean, it's wildly successful for generating <laughs> uh, generating delegations. <laughs> I, I noticed we're already we're already getting some some comments in. Adam Baum has said, uh, I think on the subject of maybe that was about the time when I said I'd pretty probably be a yes from me. Boo. Uh, <laughs> Ben Davis says, uh, "But do we really want people to make a positive impact?" <laughs> that's a that one really that's makes a fair you question. Think. That one really makes you think. We should create a dollar uh, on that one. Soy Soy Two Studios says, "Have you actually watched the videos?" I have to be honest, no, because the thumbnails make me cringe. I am a little bit like thumbnails are, are not how to get me to watch a video but look yeah right but then like i i i, I <laughs> see a video where it's just like ah the essence of like all this you know whatever uh, category theory or something with some guy with a beard and i'm like fucking yes let's fucking go <laughs> That's it. so i realized that i'm deranged um but uh yeah Rama's well says, hey rama's here uh the the prop identifies a tooling problem for funding content what uh you can tell that how badly i've read the the thing then so on on the like i don't know the quality of the content but like you know for each of those videos they put out like a whole ass medium article as well it's like they put in a fair amount of effort you know it's got to be researched and takes time to type and Right, but at the same time, shit. at school, Null, I recall I was not graded on the amount of effort I put in. I was graded on whether it was good or shit. Yeah, but like, you know, the, the content is not bad. Have you watched it? I, I have actually watched it, yeah, because of the thumbnail. Okay. Because... <laughs> 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 we just look at least we have a diversity of opinion on game of nodes for some very narrow definition of diversity of opinion <laughs> there you go um soy two studio has asked actually in the comments isn't this the whole point of the icf delegations that kind of seems like yes actually that's actually a really good point yeah. i'll take that so, but to that end, ICF delegations don't currently exist yet. Like they're marketing them and we know they're coming, but they aren't here. So while they don't still exist, this is another method of funding. So, And I, think, I don't think there's an issue with having multiple forms of funding. I think that if you receive a delegation, you can still go for community funding, right? Like if I created a tool on Juno, I do have a delegation from Core One or whoever that entity is that does the delegations there. I don't think that that makes it mutually exclusive. Yeah, I think they do explicitly say something actually as well about not wanting um, uh, that that they'll if they get one they'll they'll give up t'other if that, if that makes sense. Double um, dip. But yeah, uh, and then as always, there's a bunch of comments in there in the chat about it should come from a DAO. DAO's all the way down. It's Dow 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 here, baby. Is Game of Nodes a Dow? Um, it's a cabal. It's a cabal. <laughs> it's an evil <laughs> Dow. Sounds nice. We are we are definitely evil all the way down. <laughs> Game of Nodes. It's a cabal. <laughs> yeah, we're a DC de- decentralized cabal. 
<laughs> oh, K? DK? How the fuck do you spell Cabal? Well, I don't know. What's the difference between a decentralized Cabal and a DAO? Is he frozen or is he just deep in thought? That was both. Both. Oh, I know. I I missed that from the from the jitters. My fuck you, Elon. You're fucking up today, brother. It's not the birds. No, man. It's Elon. He's been a cunt. He's fucking. He's got the. (laughs) He has. He has. He has in fact been a cunt. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's got the button on my internet connection. He's just like tapping it. He's like fuck you, fuck you. He's like got the wires going. Yeah. <laughs> he probably watched the last episode. Was, he was like, "Oh, talk shit on on live podcast, huh?" All right, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> That's probably why it's never going to work for us if we try and do spaces because be, if we'll just get blacklisted or shadow banned or whatever the fuck you call it um, for Twitter. Immediately like, shadow podcasts. banned. <laughs> Immediately game of game of fuckheads. More like, let's see if they. <laughs> uh, we were trying not to swear and get demonetized. Even though we're never, ever, ever going to make it 90 minutes without demonetizing ourselves, number one. And number two, we don't even have ads enabled to my understanding of how that works on YouTube anyway. It doesn't even matter. So, we I can't, trying not to swear. We can't be monetized because of all of our other videos. You'd have to go and sanitize everything and it would just ruin the fucking channel. No, isn't it? On a case-by-case basis. No, if your channel's like fucking up, you have to go back and fix all the other shit. Really? Or delete or delete bitches. Yeah, you can't. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can say fuck on YouTube and you don't have to like then go back and edit out the word fuck from every YouTube video. That's ridiculous. You just have to go uh, on a PR yeah. path. I'm sorry to everyone for saying <laughs> The dirty F word. I'm really sorry. We've, <laughs> yeah, exactly. we've realized mistakes have been made on Game of Nodes. The word fuck has been said on several occasions. Game of Nodes cares. Yeah, yeah, mistakes exactly. have been made, but not by me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, shit. Um, oh, there you go. Uh, That's, this is, this is, good content is its own reward. Thanks, Adam. We reward ourselves today. Let us know yeah. when we get there, Adam, and we'll... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we just we take a very iterative approach we're just this is a long 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 social game slash performance art piece one one episode at a time for future archaeolog- archaeologists of the internet to uncover and be like what were people doing thinking smelling at the time <laughs> of the great interchain explosion they'll watch five episodes and be like yeah actually we'll, yeah. Just, we'll yeah. just make something up that's yeah, better in there's, the future there's probably, there's probably primary material <laughs> in here somewhere but let's just say that everybody yeah. was anxious oh, that's what um, it was they were making money and let's then go. sometimes they were losing money there we let's, go okay yeah let's go let's go watch the cosmic validator show instead oh shit okay so guys what a lot of people are struggling with here is that you know oh my goodness the the production quality is just amazing is that Elon? Is that so, Elon popping in live stream on the <laughs> on your internet? No, no. You know when you go to a YouTube channel, I've got these fucking bullshit like automatic videos that just when you go to you know it's fucking annoying. Yep. So has anyone watched? <laughs> has anyone? Is that what you're saying? Have any of you? Shut up! You, you haven't done anything like in the in the actual <laughs> channel descriptions and anything. I keep saying, let us in there so we can bastardize it. But I, just, I keep saying that's not how YouTube accounts work. <laughs> just give us your password, bro. 
Oh yeah, just, just give you, yeah. What, what's the worst that could happen? We'll just give you, give you the company Gmail password. That's that's a great, great idea. So anyway, has anyone watched? Because I find I found this fascinating. Has anyone watched the uh, FTX collapse hearing on um, the Wall Street Journal YouTube channel for four hours? Yes, it was. Uh, that it seems was, like very nerdy, even by your standards. With yeah, the, man, you mean with the, the CEO that they uh, I forget what his name is Ray. So, is it John? Yeah, John, John Ray. Ray. Is that what it is? They brought yeah, him in John right Ray. for for bankruptcy. For people who don't know, they brought him in after uh, SBF got booted. And is he the Enron um, guy? He's the Enron yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, the Enron guy. He's the Enron. Yeah. Guy. So he 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 started like the day bef- the day after. Um, right. Like they filed for Chapter Eleven, I think, or the day before, or something like. That. Maybe it's the day after. What was um, he doing? They just bail him up, and they're just like, "Hey, man, you're not yeah, up to anything, I, are you?" Now I'm just, just fucking shooting some holes, waiting for another massive corporate scandal. I think that's it. And they're just like, <laughs> "Right, we're coming off the golf course, motherfucker. We got a real fuck yeah. up for you this time." <laughs> Business is like, good. Ah, but I was one day away from retirement. <laughs> Like, no, it, mate, it is on a golf so, course for the last fucking 14 years. Fuck. Oh, yeah. That so, one. watching yeah, anyway. this thing, man, <laughs> it is fucking scary, like how candid he is about how shit that company was. <laughs> He's like, uh, he said there's like no, no corporate structure whatsoever. It's like they don't even have a HR department, they don't have like a proper departments for anything. I think the only thing they had was accounting, and obviously they were pretty shit. He said that they were using fucking QuickBooks for their accounting. Sure. <laughs> yep. And and oh, like all these good. senators come coming and asking all these fucking questions, and he's just like he keeps saying the same thing. He's like, "It's a fucking there's shit nothing show. here." Like, yeah, there's nothing here. They're like, "Have, have what? What about this? Uh, have you, do you know demographics?" And he's like, "We don't know anything." It's just a big pile so, of steaming so, shit. Like, there's no records. There's no. There's no financial system. Would you say the principal problem they had, however, was that they were their corporate structure was a polycule, whereas their corporate structure should have been a DAO, and then they would have had no problems. <laughs> a little bit unchain. <laughs> they should have been a decentralized autonomous cabal, and they would have been fine. <laughs> what about a decentralized autonomous polycule, a DAP? I don't know what a polycule is, man. You've got to use fucking words I know. Does somebody want to take that? I mean, no. I feel like I don't know they're on the west coast of America here. So. No, I don't know what that one is either. It's like um, Come on. it's like a, but it's like when people you when you have like polyamory and there's a bunch of people kind mm. of. Oh like, right, uh, right. Yeah. I've never heard that term before. How have I not heard that before? But that's what they that, that well, I mean, I, I mean, it's a little bit like. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But that's presumably what was happening in the Bahamas, right? So when you're billionaires, like just because you like you you like the way each other (laughs) each other's taste in movies, you know, the eight billion dollar company with only only expenses like a three hundred and fifty dollar monthly QuickBooks online account. (laughs) So usurper, you said you watched like? Did you watch the whole thing? I watched most of it until everything got in the way, and it it was just him. I watched to the point where he was saying the same thing every time, which was 
you keep asking these same questions. These are all good questions, but there's no answers here. That's <laughs> basically what the what that thing boiled down to. That is such a great right. response. Listen, you've Listen. had great ideas, these, but here's are, the thing. That would be a really I good question. Anything. <laughs> if a if a business had books to, I could look at, that would be a really good question. However, I can tell you nothing. We're still figuring <laughs> so it out. So, so the majority of the whole hearing, right, was people grandstanding and fucking people not listening and then asking the same question again in a different way. Yeah. But that's yeah, US politics. But, um, there was like, you know, so there's like pro, like pro crypto senators and like just anti crypto senators. Right. And uh, like one of them got up there and he's like, I think he was trying to crack a joke and it was fucking dumb. <laughs> he's like, I, I would like to propose like that we rename crypto to like, Pudo or something like that. Yeah, it's like I was like, shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> it was so fucking cringe. It's not funny. And this is no, in like, now, granddad, you've got a head rush. Yeah, this is like you know, fucking you know, like a hearing. And he's like, yeah, let's let's rename it to uh to like Pudo. And everyone's like, clearly shit toe. <laughs> what? Hey, what are you here, man? It, it was, it was good to hear. That's the one. You're creepy right, though. Day. It was creepy, though. You're creepy right. That, it was weird that, like, how people would get up and, like, be able to have some sort of take two of their minutes on questions and just kind of grandstand around their viewpoint and the whole thing. Um, people I think, weren't I always, asking questions at all. They were just getting up there and saying their fucking yeah, feelings yeah. from crypto. Yeah, it's exactly. Like a, right. Right. Like, just baby bathwater type stuff, right? Like, just throw it all out or, or whatever else. But yeah. I right. mean, Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll say, I mean, following that, there was uh, Elizabeth Warren came out with a bill, I think today or recently, around how to classify like validators and exchanges. I'll try. I'll try to find the tweet for it, but basically, it went so far as like if you're if you run like a validator operation in the U.S., she wants you essentially to have like a like a banking uh, license kind of thing, and that's just that's yeah, an outstanding it, take on everything that's going on outstanding take not bank it wasn't a bank license it was a uh, a money processor right so it basically turns into the same thing as like the corner check cashing things it's really what it is like, meaning you're not you're not custodial you might hold something in reserve you're you might be handling and transacting customer money um or in she included validators in there even too, like proof of stake where we're non-custodial val- validators as like a money processor well that is a shit that like that would be that would be the end of this business in the U.S. if that was actually true because there's there's I don't know if anybody would actually do that at least wouldn't be in the U.S. it would be everywhere else but well and it's so unrealistic. Awful. I also I posted it in the the private chat if you guys want to put that in, in the public one I, I can't oh, well. put it for some reason um, but that's just such a to, oh, yeah, Ryan I'm, I'm on the outside here where I actually like a lot of Elizabeth Warren's uh, thoughts on things not so much crypto because she. That's something that's just kind of pretty far outside of her her understanding. But this is just that that's a bit much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 what it takes. I mean, this is how this is how this shit goes back ten years. It's not just the money loss, but now it turns into now we're going to overcorrect for a bunch of twenty year olds. You know, not able to run a business that could be a ten thousand dollar business, much less a ten billion dollar business. And then they look at this and say, there's no controls in this type of situation. And what 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 controls can we actually put in place when half of this is offshore? And so how do we protect, quote unquote, the American consumer? And how you do that is you just take a fucking nuke and pave approach to it, right? You just, you don't 
identify the intricacies of it. You don't try to figure out what the right like balance of things is. You just say, well, fuck this. And then we're, then we're back five years, right. Or more like you, then you start backing up because you got to start rebuilding from the very beginning. So that's, and that's reason, is, that's reason this is like, this is what we were talking about before, like why this is, why this FTX collapse is just worse than the people who are actually FTX holders. Uh, it just, it just fucking crushes everything. Well, yeah. And I think that one big aspect of it is he was supposed to be the face of regulation, right? And suddenly the face of regulation with crypto is also some kid that's yeah. mess that's screwing around. Like that really makes it look bad. Like the yeah. guy who wants regulation, doesn't he have an accounting software? Come on. Yeah. Now. Right. So then what does that mean? Everyone else is, if he's like one of the best, who's everyone else? Like I have a better well, system. Well, it turns has. out, it turns out he was a piece of shit. And funnily enough, the person shouting loudly about being a fucking legend turns out to be a fucking prick. Who knew? Only, Surprise! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. only fucking everybody. <laughs> like fucking everybody's movie. ever paid attention to like the banking right. sector is like charismatic asshole. Well done, <laughs> fucking. Let's get out our bingo card. Charismatic guy says nice things. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that yeah, pretty but, much sums it up, right? <laughs> yeah, but that that fucking but that 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 tweet actually that that you linked, like that sums it up for me is like is like um somebody who doesn't have like direct experience of, of crypto proposes a bad or or like a, a knee-jerk way of like um regulating. And then all the crypto bros are like surveillance state, and it's like, oh fucking wind your neck in, you dickhead. <laughs> Like you're already like you're already in a surveillance state, fucking Patriot Act. You're not in a surveillance state because it's on a public fucking blockchain. You absolute fucking rube. Like if you were really like Zcash is not worried about this. Do you know why? Because it's actually fucking secure. It's actually anti-surveillance. I doubt like the Penumbra lads are that, and well, the Penumbra folks are. Sorry, my colloquial use of lads in British English. Way to go there. Yeah. Everybody. Great save. Fantastic save. <laughs> I realized I was talking about predominantly American teams, so I had to change from British English to American English to denote the generic, ungendered group of people that work on it. Not lads, but folks. Uh, anyway, I doubt they're that worried about it, right? Because they're building actual anti-surveillance stuff that has a used case that will be used by people, you know? Uh, <laughs> It's kind of back to the it's kind of back to the stuff that the usurper was say the other week, which is like the other problem we have with regulation is at the moment people turn around and say, Well, where are the use cases? And we go, Fuck, we're still trying to work that out. We're still assembling the airplane on the way down. And they're like, Yeah, but people are making billions of dollars. You've got to assemble this airplane quicker. And you're like, the problem is SBF is making billions of dollars. Well, not anymore. Well, not anymore. <laughs> he's, he's in a very small place right now. He's, yeah, he's not in a great place. But um, Well, and th this kind of goes further into like a political discussion. But I mean, that's where lobbying comes from, right? Nobody can be experts of everything. So that's where you get lobbyists come from. Yep. And then lobbying, of course, gets bastardized into bribery. It gets turned into Citizens United. It gets turned into all these other things when lobbying itself, I mean, it's actually smart. It's, it's genuinely smart to have experts that you can call on for information. But then obviously those experts are biased. And you want those bias? And, yeah. uh, well, also like fun funding limits and lobbying and all that sort of stuff is a really big problem. And um, it's one of like the minor, the minor but most important um, scandals of Brexit. Actually, is that we have pretty strict funding caps. Um, most European countries do. Uh, 
during elections and they were deliberately and illegally broken by funneling money through a shell company in Canada, I think, uh, during the Brexit campaign. May or may not have been Russian money. Who knows? Um, but, you know, it's one of those, again, with these where you're just like, oh, fuck, man. Again, with like SBF, you look at it and you're like, shit, who was he funding as well? Like, because everybody is also like just, you know, uh, I don't know. Because again, it makes everybody who, let's say, was funded by him is going to have to now it will will knee jerk against whatever because they'll be like oh well no but we were given a donation but fuck that guy like and also by the way fuck crypto and you're <laughs> right. like and you know like 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 most things in life it's a, there's no it's not really black and white like fuck some crypto yeah i mean fucking shiba inu coin fucking 69 <laughs> who gives a fuck about that shit coin like it doesn't matter like I mean, I probably still even have some Doge knocking around somewhere. Who gives a fuck about Dogecoin, right? But, you know, I don't know. Ugh. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, absolutely. I told, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's, now, it's now kind of bad enough where you're like, okay, like we're at a kind of, we're not in a, a terribly great place for crypto. Really? You almost look at like, what, what, what can we salvage from this era? Because we had like the DAO, then we had like, what would be the next massive implosion? Probably the ICO boom and bust. Oh, yeah. And then now I think this is our most recent absolute fuck up. And it's like, okay, each each time there's a massive collapse, we grandfather in something and then abandon a lot of other stuff. Stable coins in there. Stable coins, algorithmic stable coins. Oh, now this yeah, USD, exchange. Right? USD. Well, I think, I think Feels like DeFi a long time was, ago, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think DeFi was the big bull run this time because yeah. in 2017 it was the ICO and I think I think DeFi was really the one that brought it in um, this bull run and it was all so, built off the of stable coins yep <laughs> going back to your comment before around around John Ray getting the phone call out in the golf course I, I had a total flashback of like of like <laughs> of Harvey Keitel the wolf sitting out of bed getting a phone call at like 730 in the morning in Pulp Fiction and like like John Ray sitting on the phone with it's like seven in the mornings, but he's got a tuxedo on for some reason. He's got his little notebook out and he's going, All right, who are the players? All right, Sam Bankman, what? Okay. Yeah. Fuzzy here. Yeah. Caroline, what? What she look like? Oh, okay. I'll be there in ten. <laughs> it's just like just a perfect Harvey Keitel situation. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's him. It's John <laughs> just getting in his getting in his what was that? Uh, uh, it was an Acura or something. What was that? A um, oh, what car was that? His silver Acura, right? Some people know. Yeah, something like that. Doing hundred miles an hour. Oh man, there's going to be a really, uh, isn't it? I read somewhere that um, the guy who wrote the book that The Big Short is based on was um, Michael Burke. basically shadowing a bunch of people in crypto in anticipation of a hilarious meltdown. And had very recently shadowed Sam Bankman Free just before it all went to shit. So I thought he followed him like six months ago, which is just fantastic. Because because he'll have written everything down, and he'll just be sitting in. But he'll he'll have like given it to the prosecutors and gone. By the way, here's the thing. Anyway, I'm going to go back <laughs> to go. my book, uh, which is going to be a bestseller. By the way, <laughs> I can tell you ahead of time. I'm pretty certain now it's going to be a very big bestseller. <laughs> Crazy. I don't know why you fucking text people and say, don't call, they call. It's dumb. <laughs> well, like your boss. Even though it's, it's just working people. hours. 
just people. That's a hell of a thing for you to say. I'll message you on Discord and you'll be like, all right, I'm calling in two minutes. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I don't want to talk to you. That's the reason I message you. Yeah, but if the message was don't call. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. For explicitly saying don't call. All right, I follow. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Now you know for the next time. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> specific, specifically the situation was I, I rejected a phone call, sent a message that said, I can't talk. I'll call you back after 10 o'clock to immediate fucking recall. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, where did we get to? I was, I was busy taking that. We just talked about basically where Rama just got to in the comments there. Rama said, well, we have no narrative for another bull run right, right. now. And maybe that's okay. Right. Because, because we've had a whole bunch of, of, of what, what would be really interesting is to see the meta of all the various bull runs because either either they're just completely random and it's just random noise or maybe they're getting worse or maybe the i mean i would imagine they're getting bigger in magnitude right but you would hope bigger that- in magnitude but i'd say bigger in like the you know well i mean not even bigger in the percentage ups and downs it pretty much goes mad and then nukes but the um you know you need a catalyst for a bull run and this time around, the catalyst was the uh, COVID because everyone was at home and had nothing to do. So I believe we will be fucked until there's a new catalyst. So, uh, What was the 2017 catalyst? Or was there? Uh, well, it was probably smart contracts, right? Uh, I don't know. First kind of... First kind of yeah, no. Yeah, it was like people were just minting random shit coins, wasn't it? That was the ICO. <laughs> well, so at like, like ERC20s. So around fifth, I think it was 15, 2015 around there is when like Ethereum started with its, um, you know, started to implement the smart contract stuff. And then I, I think it developed to a point until they had, um, you know, some form of DeFi and, and NFTs around 2017. And then I think that sort of kicked off like a bit of a fucking hype cycle on that type of business. And then it took off. That makes sense. And that, that would make sense for why ICOs became such a big thing in 2017, because they're built off of that platform. Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> There, I mean, there's a. I, I remember I I bought quite a bit of ETH just before or around that time, and it was literally just I sorted I think by by market cap on one of the thingies at the time. I went, okay, Ethereum. I've I know what it is. It's programmable stuff. If it's it's now high in market cap, there we go. Let's buy some of that and see. Just come check back in three years, and uh, yeah, it panned out all right. But you do go like, and I don't know, we say it before, but until you get to the point where you can't do that, then all this stuff is fucked. Because that kind of, the kind of return on investment you get on this stuff, like it should be no surprise that it all goes to shit so quickly when it does. <laughs> oh shit. It goes fast, right? Well, yeah. The, the, problem, the problem with Ponzi-nomics is that it needs new money. And if, New money's not coming, then Ponzi nomics falls off the cliff. Hot well, 
yeah, there are a lot of <laughs> so so. Obviously, I said like the other week, um, having finally finished uh, a few weeks ago, um, Noel's recommendation of Graeber's debt book. There's a, he has a lot of things to say about, um, um, I guess the creation of money because that's kind of what the book's about, right? Which is the move from how you get to from credit, like informal credit, to the need for um creating money right like token token based money and there's a lot of stuff in there that's quite interesting and quite relevant to like it seems like often there's a debt crisis as well involved in um the proliferation of new types of money when people when people have no way of paying their bills or they can't access money um for one reason or another they quite often make their own there's this whole bit where he talks about in medieval england like people just going like oh i just I'm just going to make fad. He calls it fad money, and um, uh, and it's, uh, I'll find the I'll find the quote. It's good. Hang on. I mean, that's that's what you do, right? When uh, when everything goes to shit and your money's worth nothing anymore, you just like move to the next thing and then call it money, right? Move from your seashells and pebbles to like you know chunks of shiny shit, and then move from your chunks of shiny shit to like stamped out shiny shit. And then decide that you don't want that anymore, and then create paper. Uh, okay, yeah. Because you don't need to find the shiny shit to begin with. So he talks about at the time when they were when uh, there was a bit of the old genocide happening in South America, and the, they were taking all of the silver, which was like the largest expansion in in money supply ever in the history of the world from the point of view of the European, like the European and the, the Western powers. I guess he says that like the majority of it didn't actually turn up in use like it wasn't in use and that, that was because of like early globalized what we might call globalization right a lot of end up in china for another reason um but so he says that in in the poorer neighborhoods of cities or large towns shopkeepers would issue their own lead leather or wooden token money in the 16th century this became something of a fad with artisans and even poor widows producing their own currency as a way to make ends meet and then there's a couple of there's obviously a couple of foot, footnotes with that uh citations but the the really interesting thing is like like even if you have like there's this idea like and he returns to it a lot this idea that you have this notion that these things are backed by something but most of the time when you scratch you find that actually kind of not and then the actual the destabilizing influence of all these other things is usually part of the macro if you have an unstable situation um and there's also a funny quote further down that same page, which I've I've underlined, which is in a typical village, the only people likely to pay cash were passing travelers and those considered riffraff. Um, because he points out everything was done in that period of the Middle Ages was done largely easy, either using tally sticks or using pure credit. Like you just you just if you're in a village, like you don't leave the village that often. You know, you 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 get together and you have a reckoning uh periodically where everybody just settles their debts, basically. Um, but there was another, so since we are now into reading sections from David Graeber's book, um, one of the more interesting, there's a section on, on, um, I think it's pre Ming, pre Ming, or is it during the Ming era? It's during the Ming dynasty in China. It's about how, um, unofficial money, money types were created and then grandfathered into the system. So, uh okay 
there's a complicated thing that involved the tax system as it was not having um not having money in it right so you paid in um labor and in kind for your taxes and people couldn't do that because pe- well people couldn't do it and they couldn't change their jobs and it caused civil unrest basically and civil unrest bad right um yeah. So people left where they lived and they went to do random jobs. And they and one of the things that people ended up doing, uh, aside odd jobs, peddling, entertainment, piracy, or banditry, um, he says, in China, many also turned prospector. There was a minor silver rush with illegal mines cropping up everywhere. Uncoined silver ingots instead of official paper money and strings of bronze coins soon became the real money of the off-the-books informal economy. When the government attempted to shut down illegal mines in the 1430s and 1440s, their efforts sparked local insurrections in which miners would make common cause with displaced peasants, seize nearby cities, and sometimes threaten entire provinces. In the end, the government gave up even trying to suppress the informal economy. Instead, they swung the other way entirely. They stopped issuing paper money, legalized the mines, allowed silver bullion to become the recognized currency for large transactions, and even gave private mints the authority to produce strings of cash which sounds a lot like shitcoins, right? Except that it's shitcoins backed by silver. But the question is like, what, this is the kind of the the interesting paradox at the heart of it, which is that why do people think silver and gold are inherently more worth something? There's a whole section on like alchemists and stuff trying to justify this and like, uh, like ancient theories and medieval theories and all this stuff. But it all basically comes down to because right history right that's it that it's been centuries and centuries of us agreeing that that's not us but of of human of the species agreeing that there's value there right exactly so exactly socially well, agreed socially agreed it's, it's rare i mean we have modern day the, yeah i would say it, it's rarity is a big part of it but there are modern day things like that as well right in prisons ramen is considered the the currency of choice in, in most prisons i thought it was um, cigarettes and then what? well i was gonna hit that next the alternative to that is cigarettes but that also applies to other areas as well so going back to my childhood my group of friends was like the stoners or whatever right and that was their currency was cigarettes there as well, but you also find that in other places. Um, even going back to like World War One, when cigarettes became big, cigarettes became a currency then in wartime, and it basically has never stopped. Right? You can look at how cigarettes have become a currency in the Afghan War in Iraq. Like it's just something that has become such a strong token of value that it kind of transcends our current vision of money because it has an. There's no intrinsic value to it, I guess, aside from like its utilization of creating social ties, but everyone sees one cigarette is one cigarette. And so how many, how many deck of cards is that worth? What kind of trade can I get out of this? It's, it's actually a pretty interesting, like token value really. So, you know, Schultze in Australia, um, we use beer instead of uh, cigarettes, but I, I take your point and yeah. Isn't like, what is it worth? Sort of. So the funny thing about barter is that, um, you know, something is worth what someone's willing to give for it, right? So a cigarette could be worth, in one instance, a rock, or a cigarette could be worth, in another instance, a Lamborghini. It just depends on the, you know, the person who's who's trading for it and how much they want it. So I just want to go back to um, something that the Frey mentioned previously, 
uh, with his um, sticks. So in the village, the sticks in the village, that there is in that book, there are so many parallels to different things in um, in crypto. And actually the sticks are one of them. Uh, and I would call that more the, the town coming together for reconciliation of debt, right? And that draws a parallel to as what Ben has pointed out here, which is Ko-Fi, which was um, brought up the other day. Maybe Ben can actually tell us who the developer was on that. Um, but I read about it the other day on um, after I saw a thread on it on Twitter, and it's virtually the same thing. It's like um, at some point reconciling your debt between the group um, of people who have debts together. So basically... You know, I go into debt with with uh, the fray, and the fray goes into debt with um, Schultzy. But instead of me paying back the fray, I pay Schultzy, and it's you can um, reconcile debt as a group, and then you have less transactions. So, um, right. But the flip side of that is, and go back to Wake and Fright because it always comes back to <laughs> it. Wake always does, right? Notice nobody in Wake and Fright ever ask for a beer to be bought back for them they just buy beers for other people and in addition there's that thing in that in in the same book which um other it comes up actually quite often in anthropology i gather more generally which is that if you're part of a community it's seen as often quite healthy to be generally in debt to the people around you by small tokenistic amounts like even to the extent, if you think about like, if you know your neighbors well, you'll typically lend them things and they'll lend you things like on my street, we trade hot sauces, for example. Um, I think I've lent some guitar equipment to somebody a few doors down. Like there are, there are all these little things where you're like, they're just the things that anchor you kind of to a place. And they're not really like, and like beer is a really good example because it's very, very common to buy a beer and then not count, not count the tab. Mm-hmm. sure when you're younger you are always like you owe me a fucking beer mate but then there comes a point when you let's say you don't see people as often because you're beginning to get a bit older or other people have got kids again you don't see them so often you're not going to count every beer if you manage to see them because you're just like oh this is part of a bonding a community ritual right right um i think also, also as you get older bit. you've accumulated more wealth and you're less like so picky about that beer not that someone owns. Market. Yeah, not <laughs> but gen- generally Denmark speaking, like count your beers. Older. <laughs> you guys can yeah, have all at my the moment, We can't count every beer, yeah. But as you well, get older, like I think, generally speaking, you accumulate more wealth, and then it becomes less of a sticking point if someone owes you a beer. I don't know if it even is about the wealth necessarily. I think that as you get older, um, but I want to go back to what something we first talk about in a minute. But um, I think your your priorities change when you're young. Like you don't hold a lot of value towards social interactions because all day you spend like from kindergarten onward, you spend all day with 30 other people minimum, and then you have college, what have you. So social value means very little to you. But as you get older, you're starting to isolate more, whether you want to or not, that's just human nature. And so suddenly like, who cares about that beer? I get to spend an hour with Jeff or whatever. And then you just enjoy that more. I think you're right. I think Wait, you're right. you know Jeff? He's a great guy. I know. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff's fantastic. I haven't seen him in uh, years. <laughs> and uh, I, I definitely agree, I definitely agree with your point with like more and more social isol- isolation when you get um, older. Like 
there becomes a point where you just can't be fucked making new friends anymore. And especially if it means like going to the local fucking boozer and like staying awake and not in bed for a long time. So, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. those, no. I, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I would say that one of the first times in my life that I've ever had the conversation of like, listen, I think, I think you're cool and everything, but at this time in my life, I'm not really looking for like new deep friendships. Uh, like, and I'm, I'm about 30. Right. And so it's about that time <laughs> that starts to happen. And I'd never experienced that before, but anyway, let's go a little, go a little bit farther than 30. A little bit farther than 30. A little yeah. bit farther yeah. than 30. 30 is a little bit early. I, I know exactly what you mean. I'm 50. I know exactly what you're talking about. It does happen. 30. I mean, I have some of my best friends are ones I've met after 30. So don't cut them yeah. out at that point. Well, look, my man, I'm, I'm like late. I'm late 30s, and I really like don't like people in general anymore. And well, I, I mean, uh, that's I've always been like that. I mean, that happened. I just I like my my group of friends that I sort of went to uni with, and you can like say anything you want to them as well. Like, you know, you, you've been friends for so long that if you're having a bad day, you can like hose them about some shit, and they just like don't care. Yeah. And like, if you did that to some new person that you knew, I'm sure that'd be a little bit sensitive to that kind of hosing. But in general, also, Suppose. like we we like we we cha- change our um we we wrong? change our like uh, <laughs> like our lives change. Like we you're more focused on work and not like you know what Sally and Tom are doing down the road. Like when you're younger, you're really socially um, focused because you don't have anything else that's like to do. And so, you know, it's all about interpersonal interpersonal relationships and you get all tangled up in that drama, right? But once you get older, you've got to work, you've got family, you know, you've got all these other um, responsibilities and time-consuming things. You just lose time no, for, it's... yeah, you, you lose time for like, um, you know, the social things that you, you used to do. And I think that's a trap as well. Um, and it's a it's a trap of society and it's a trap of of how society needs to function to be like viable so we need a bunch of uh you know low income earners to basically sustain the economy of the world because without they're the machine if you don't have the machine then you know the countries don't run so you know the people who are all the way down are battling and the people who are all the way at the top don't do shit. They just, you know, manage their investments, but you need that the bulk of people stuck in that middle ground to make the machine work. And so while you're busy toiling away as part of the machine, like life just passes you by and you don't really have those social problems anymore because you're too busy running the machine. Well, I think what's interesting about that is that that's actually kind of a more modern, um, take on society i guess um i've read a couple books that talk about what it looked like to be let's say like a medieval surf normally when you think of the concept of a medieval surf you think like they're working 12 hour days every day in the fields they're laboring blah 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 but it actually wasn't really like that they had far more time to be human than we do these days so it's interesting to to look at how isolated and how much time is dedicated to generating capital for ourselves to pay for rent or whatever, when the reality is it, it's such a modern thing and we think it's just the way things are supposed to be. And it's really not. 
Um, Having to work to live is is a modern phenomenon. That is that that's the interesting thing, right? Is that there there were points when you could literally work on your own land. There were points uh, until relatively recently where even in a very very small country like England, you could live off of common land fully, right? You did not have to have a job. You did not you, you had to you know, there's people who were the pointy stick who will stab you to death if you don't tip your hat. Fine. That that's life. But for the most part, you could just go about your fucking business. And like you say, also serfdom, like post the Black Death, like there was a whole period where Europe in particular like depopulated by a third. After that, like the idea that somebody could be like, do this, do that, do the other. Fucking no chance. Like there were there was so many, there were like, it was, there, there's some crazy stat. I don't know. Somebody can look this up. There's, there's some, there was some point after the black death where certainly medieval England, a third of the year was feast days because the, 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 because the laborers, the agricultural laborers ran the fucking show without them, everybody would starve and they knew it. So they were like, yeah, all the old pagan festivals, they're back in these, these Christian ones. Of course we're having those. Anybody else got any wild ideas for festivals? Cause we need a few more days to get the mead out two thumbs up i mean this what we do now where we work till exhaustion and then we die like that's a a very recent thing um and you can start you can see the health effects you've had from we've had from it um there's a book called bowling alone um from the 90s about basically how it used to be if you look back at like the 50s 60s people were in bowling clubs they went and did you know, pickup games for sports together. There's all those sorts of things. And nowadays we're talking about the isolation epidemic, right? I would argue that a strong part of the 2020 bull run wasn't so much COVID in the sense of like suddenly we had disposable income because of the the checks or whatever. But a lot of it, I think was everyone got jumbled up in their social system that a lot of people found community in, in crypto. And because they found that community in crypto, they could, you know, kind of lit live the social life that they kind of wanted to not exactly because it's not in person and there's a discussion we've had around that but so many there are so many people that are missing community in very fundamental ways that again is a modern phenomena and i think that i think we're going to find out soon kind of how much that's affecting people Schultz, i think that kind of feeds in as well as why fucking crypto twitter is like such a shit show at the moment because people don't really have another outlet for their frustrations. Like a lot of people can't go down and talk to their friends at the pub about, you know, how they're fucking making losses in crypto or or whatever else. And I think that de facto uh, pseudo anonymous part of, of Twitter makes it like an ideal outlet for people who have no other like social outlet to just fucking let rip and, uh, you know, use their frustrations on other people. So uh, I just wanted to um, apologize as well for like my rant before on the machine. Uh, we had some constructive feedback. Uh, Rama says deep. Ben Davis says bleak. And Adam Bomb says that's depressing. So just uh, just want to apologize for that. <laughs> and um, Adam Bomb also keeps saying that, uh, going to say it again, bring back the Jubilee year. I don't know what that means, but sure, man, let's hit it. It's the conclusion in debt so jubilee was debt forgiveness that's what it meant Ah, yes i do Um, need to reread it 
so it's it's literally luckily for you i've got it i've actually got it underlined somewhere i'm sure i do uh let me find it I'm the I, feel like last. Frey, I feel like the fray has like a far better um methodology of reading and retaining information in books uh, you know, like, i'm gonna say it again annotating them and and other you know things like that it's probably got like little fucking tags hanging out of them everywhere with little notes on them whereas yeah, i, I just read hold the page yet, and and the next thing <laughs> yeah well it's just it, when they're a thing i also figure like especially for something where it's kind of vaguely provocative you i tend to get halfway through and then i start to realize that i'm missing things and i start like typically mine only start getting annotated after halfway through um, where I'm like, ah, oh, there's loads of good stuff that I'm going to forget when I get to the end of this. So I start doing it, but it's, yeah. But if you ever lend it to somebody or you give it away, then somebody else can kind of, it's kind of nice. I always kind of like it when I read a book and I find somebody's maybe not like a novel, but like a, like a text, like, you know, like a kind of vaguely academic. Um, I actually go for used books specifically for that reason. There, uh, Portland has, has pal's bookstore and they have like these great used books and I, I specifically will try and find one where someone has annotated because then you can get like a third party in, like introspection of, of what's happening. I just, I think that adds to, to to a book experience. I really like the books that I've got from uh, that. There's that really good book, uh, used bookshop in Berkeley, just just down from the university. Um, I've got a few really good books from there, and they've always got somewhat funny occasionally quite californian annotations but um you know you kind of know what i mean um so <laughs> so there's 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 an ending the ending of the book like is 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 worth re- i'm basically just gonna say okay uh so um um so yeah just trying to find the beginning of the rational beginning of this quote um Okay, so this is exactly what's so pernicious about the morality of debt, the way that financial imperatives try to reduce us all, despite ourselves, to the equivalent of pillagers, eyeing the world simply for what can be turned into money, and then tell us it's only those who are willing to see the world as pillagers who deserve access to resources required to pursue anything in life other than money, like being on a golf course waiting for the phone to ring. It introduces moral perversions on every level. Cancel, for example, cancel all student debt. The argument comes, but that would be unfair to all of those people who struggle for years to pay back their student loans. Let me assure the reader that, as somebody who struggled for years to pay back his student loans and finally did so, this argument makes about as much sense as saying it would be unfair to a mugging victim not to mug their neighbours too. The argument might perhaps make some sense if one agreed with the underlying assumption that work is by definition virtuous, since the ultimate measure of humanity's success is as a species in its ability to increase the global output of goods and services by at least 5% per year. The problem is that it's becoming increasingly obvious that if we continue along these lines much longer, we're likely to destroy everything. Side point, as I learned in this book and I didn't know before, the 5% per year thing comes from the maximum amount of interest you could charge until it was, I think, against Roman Catholic doctrine after they gave up on the ban on usury in the Middle Ages to accommodate the bankers. So even our idea of GDP is based on like Middle Ages accommodation between the church and money lenders anyway. Um, that one I didn't know. That's also the least amount you can charge as commission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. 
<laughs> and uh, so I would like then to end by putting in a good word for the non-industrious poor. At least they aren't hurting anyone insofar as the time they're taking off from work is being spent with friends and family, enjoying and caring for those they love. They love. They're probably improving the world more than we acknowledge. Maybe we should think of them as pioneers of a new economic order that would not share our current one's penchant for self-annihilation. The film Office Space, I think, is relevant there. Um, and then he, he ends with, in this book, I've largely avoided making concrete proposals, but let me end with one. It seems to me that we are long overdue for some kind of a biblical-style jubilee, one which would affect both international debt and consumer debt. Uh, it would be salutary not because it would relieve so much genuine human suffering, but because it would also be our way of reminding ourselves that money is not ineffable, that paying, paying one's debts is not the essence of morality, and that all these things are human arrangements. If democracy is to mean anything, it is the ability to agree to arrange things in a different way, which may bring us on to the question of, I put something on Twitter the other day saying, hang on a minute, what if the problem with all this editing the blockchain ledger is actually that we do it outside of consensus? And I know Prop 16, we had a whole thing on this, but maybe actually, <laughs> because we've been talking about tombstoning, right? For the last few weeks on the show. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't mean anything. No. No, it doesn't. <laughs> is the problem with untombstoning that we untombstone or is the problem that we do it outside of consensus? And yes, I do realize that was a handbrake and then the wow. car has slid and we are now going in that direction. Yeah, you gave me no no time to reflect on that passage. You're like, all right, here's the passage. And anyway, I feel like I need to recover. So I think like that that end, um, like that is kind of like uh, throughout the book worked on that, obviously, um, that ending um, like paragraph because it, it is leaned on quite a few times, I think, in the book about the, you know, socially uh, sort of coming to the arrangement of deleting the, the debt. So... Yeah, look, I'm not going to talk about it because I'm sounding like a peanut. And <laughs> it also takes me an incredible long time to read books. Like this is my current uh, book that I'm reading with my little hand. And, uh, and what was like, that? Uh, this hand. is one that um, it's called, it's about cognitive dissonance. And it's uh, mistakes were made, but not by me. So, um, you know, I don't make mistakes. <laughs> So it's it's just about like your your mind convincing yourself that you're always right, basically. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it's just yeah, it's pretty interesting in that respect. Like because sometimes you know that you know you be talking to someone and and or you hear statements by someone and they they genuinely believe that it's like one hundred percent true, and it's you know probably because they're a little bit invested in that outcome or, you know, just convince themselves of it or, you know, like flat earthers and stuff like that. It's just, it's an interesting book, um, but I'm not very far through it. As you can see, that's fucking, I've obviously not got to the meat yet, but, um, and, uh, you know, I only read when I'm at home. You can tell by how good a condition this is. When I'm like not watching fucking netbook or something, or Netflix. So Netflix.
Yeah. But, uh, man, I'm going to have to go back and reread uh, Debt because it was actually a couple of years ago that I got that book and and read through it. And it took me quite some time to get through because uh, it's very fucking, like, heavy to understand. It's a big boy. It's a big yeah, boy. it's a thick book and it's, and it's heavy to understand. But, like, I remember some of the themes thinking back about it, but I think I really should, like, get some detail about it. Um, I think maybe like uh, an idea might be that um, if we are like on this show, I think maybe we should challenge ourselves to maybe read a book like every four to six weeks or something so that we can like, you know, at the same time so that we can actually, you know, have some discourse about it. Um, in saying that, it probably would take it might me have more to be a bit longer than, than yeah. it might have to be more like eight weeks. From, yeah, uh, I mean, if I've got a, if I've got a deadline though, like I can probably you know put some more effort into getting through it. If it's just something, you know, I could sacrifice some other shit that I do to actually read the books. It'd be good <laughs> to me. True. I guess it depends well, how busy your bookshelf is, doesn't it? And well, how far I mean, we're if, to get. Yeah. if we did to do you know one book every eight weeks, I don't think as good a conversation can come out of that as if we do. Well, let's do one chapter every two weeks or something. I think that's easier because then you can focus in and be like, okay, this chapter's about this. What kind of discourse can we have at? But the flip side of that yeah, is like in terms of saying something relevant, sometimes you know, you read the whole of debt, really. And I think there are probably maybe like 10 pull-out quotes where I've been like, shit, that 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 says something quite pertinent like- to our current situation, you know. And there are other ones like the 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 question of like debt crises and like proliferation of money types. That is more of an underlying theme. It's not like there's one particular chapter that talks about it, although it's sort of touched on, you know? So I guess it also depends like what, what kind of book we're reading. Um, but you know, if you read something like, uh, I was going to suggest actually, um, the other book I read really recently was the world beyond, world beyond your head. I kind of like read most of the chapters. I didn't read the whole thing, um, by shit. What's his name? Crawford, his name's Crawford, Matthew Crawford, I think. He wrote Shop Classes Soulcraft. I feel like that is a book that would go down well with this group. Uh, Shop Classes Soulcraft, that is. That one's very good. I've not read it yet. I've read this one and I've read an article by him, um, which I think came before the book, but I haven't read Shop Classes Soulcraft yet. So I was going to read that. But if you've already read it, she'll see then. Do you know what? I read it in high school, though, so we're talking like last I'm week. a totally different person then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a different person then, so like I could totally read it again and just get all new stuff. Similarly, with um, what's the one? The one where the guy more uh, Zen in the art of for the soul. Zen in the art of motorcycle. Zen, Zen in the art of motorcycle oh. maintenance. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Do you know what could be fun is reading something like just off the wall, like um, the uh, Metamorphosis, and like, try- oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like trying to make like as I a group trying different to make- places. <laughs> because Metamorphosis is like a bunch of short stories, right? So it's easy to to get through, and then like trying to fucking make sense of it as a uh, you know with our group consensus. What Kafka? Yeah. I mean, we could just uh, we could just go the whole way and just do House of Leaves, and we can all do our interpretation of what actually happened. Perfect. Sorry, I, I missed some of that because it's fucking Elon. 
Fucking Elon. Oh, I, I suggested like a very postmodern book called House of Leaves, where it's a book within a book within a book. Oh, that sounds fun. It was kind of a joke, but we could go there and do the Canterbury Tales. <laughs> I have to do that. I have to do those at school. That's not cool. Well, yeah, the Canterbury Tales. My summary would be that almost always the punchline is about pooping asses or penises. <laughs> I was going to say about like sex or something like that. Yeah, my kids would love it. <laughs> it's all about asses. Um, I, there's a, I read a really good book called Watling Street, which is basically a, a folk history of England told by walking one of the oldest roads that's you know goes back to pre-recorded history basically um but it's sort of told out of order and there's a lot of them relate back to the canterbury tales and the conclusion is almost all of them involve a joke about an ass at some point and you're just like uh, and uh, the author reflects that like basically no matter what period of english history you use we're just obsessed with telling jokes about asses and maybe every country is, and that's what makes us human. And then he, that's like his aside. And then he just moves on and be like, then there was a cathedral or whatever. And you're like, this book's great. <laughs> Should we go back to tombstone? Uh, Adam bomb says, uh, have a, a choose your own adventure book. <laughs> that's more like it. If you'd like to unbond now, flip to page 89. <laughs> you want, yeah, you we could all discuss off. where you ended up. Discuss your adventure. If you want to piss off your delegators through a nasty tweet storm, go to 76. Yeah. I can turn back to on tombstoning. Um, I'm good for that. Should we finish up on tombstoning? Yeah, sure, man. Well, we've got oh, we got 20 minutes. Uh, 20 minutes. We've also been recommended a book called Flatland in the yeah, I didn't know that book. in the comments, which given that Ben has also doxxed his dad as an English literature professor, we can assume that the Flatland in question is a satirical novella by the English schoolmaster Edwin Abbott Abbott, an amazing name, uh, published in 1884 by Celia Co. of London, written anonymously by A Square. The book used the fictional two-dimensional world of Flatland to comment on the hierarchy of Victorian culture. Um, mm-hmm. I've not heard of it, nor have no. I read it. It sounds... It sounds like a real head nodder. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> do you know what this, it, it straight away made me think of... Um, what's the name of the, the second book by Susanna Clarke? Uh, Piranesi. You know, where it's like, which also Piranesi is, is very, very similar to House of Leaves. So as soon I guess as soon as no, novelists start having a nervous breakdown, they start writing books about labyrinths, right? That's right. what novelists seem to do. Very talented, esoteric novelists. They have a breakdown. <laughs> they write a story about a labyrinth. Um, and it's like, oh, is it a metaphor for the author's own struggle to get the book out? Yes. Yeah. So, what do we think about the? Uh, well, firstly, so but but her influences. Do you think that was sort of covered off in Prop eighty nine or? Uh, in our notes, yes. Yeah, yeah. We'll put a put a line through that. So, yeah. what? Yeah. Crazy! Oh, okay. He just lost his. He just lost his camera. Yeah. Okay. So, um, untunstoming. So it's been a, a trend of late. Um, that people who have, let's say, um, accidentally tombstone themselves, that the network is making more or less special provision to, like, bring these people back and untombstone them. So I guess that 
you know, that is like, it, and they're doing it um, as the phrase sort of mentioned before in his um, in his tweet. They're more or less doing it outside of consensus as well. Uh, maybe a social consensus among um, validators as people who, well, and actually, you know, now that I think about it, that's not actually true because people have to vote in the upgrade. They're not doing it outside of an upgrade. So nine times out of 10, these stonings are part of an upgrade. So I guess people technically are voting for it. Um, they are, but but I, I don't well, know. If, I don't know if it's, it's not as clear as if it was two separate props, right? Like it is part of an upgrade, and people usually vote yes on upgrades and kind of move along. But but if it was but a I mean, you can, prop, you can shoot different. down the prop and say no, take that fucking tombstone sure. out of it, and then we'll, of course like, you could vote. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fun discussion to be had in itself, right? Like I think it was the Chihuahua one. I I voted yes because it was an upgrade and I didn't realize that there's an on tombstone in it. And I'm sure that yeah. is true for many other people, right? Like how often are we voting yes on these props where it turns out we're literally undoing potentially nefarious behavior? I yeah. think that's fascinating. I'm, and I, I'll admit I was kind of ashamed whenever that came through and I was like, oh shit, that's something I, I should have caught and had a discussion about. And I learned, you know, when the upgrade went through that, oh, now we have a validator back because this was in the upgrade handler that I didn't review. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of think, I mean, are we, our viewpoint overall, are we kind of in favor of this idea of being able to back out and, and what, whether, even if it's through a, a halt or a mistake from a validator's perspective, that's away from an, an actual halt. Well, halt, halt's actually, increase the risk of of tombstoning just based on people not understanding the whole stack and taking steps faster than they should or doing things that they don't understand or following bad directions in discord like things like that happen right like those are those are situations that happen and people just copy paste commands and next thing you know that they're tombstone after the chain moves a block or something similar to that um that's one situation the other situation is people just fuck up like people you know they run commands and not again don't understand the whole stack and doing something on their own I mean, well, I mean, that usurper that we are sort of taking in good faith that they're fucked up and not tried to do something uh, nefarious, like you say. Fair enough. Yep. Fair enough. Yep. That's true. Like, yeah. and I don't, I don't know what, I mean, in a single validator double signing, I'm not sure what nefarious structure would be there so much, you know, based on percentages that we're talking about. But yeah, I, I mean, usually I would think that it's probably, it's probably just a fuck up. So, but I mean, is there is there leeway in any of those situations? Is it is it worth having leeway? And if if there is leeway, like in these type of situations, like then what 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 responsibility do validators have, and what's the point of all this shit then? Well, and so, there are rules that apply to only a handful of folks, right? Everstake, uh, I think it was Everstake, Tombstone twice on Evmos. And there was no consideration to bring them back up, but then right. there have been other validators that because they were small, they're like, well, we should just we should bring them back up. Right. So how's this even applying? Like they tried. Yeah. So right. Rama says, uh, is the devs gave wrong instructions sufficient justification? Vows should review the notes and only run verified shit. So there are some situations like in um, upgrades where things go terribly awry. And they may be situations that validators haven't like unless you're pretty experienced in it and i think we as a group have probably bumped up against 
the issues that people are getting um, tombstoned for more or less in test nets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you're a more inexperienced validator, you might not know that these things that you're doing are going to result in a tombstone, whereas the rest of us already know because of, we've done it in, in test nets. Yeah. But I think that comes down to still like, you know, validator experience, the competence of the operator, um, and like we've talked about before as well, like actually having playbooks with how to deal with situations. And I think most of us, if not all of us here, um, specifically run remote signers for that very issue of double signing during upgrades, um, which is... Because it will literally say in the log, yo, I tried to double sign. I'm not doing anything right now, but I like, well, TMKMS will specifically say attempted double sign. Yeah, Horcrux does the same thing. Attempted double sign, attempted double sign, attempted double sign. I won't do that because I'm a good, I'm a good softwares. Um, But yeah, if you if you run local um, signing material, it is like Mm -hmm. really fucking pertinent to really know what you're doing when when it's an upgrade and it goes to shit Uh, the best thing you can do if you're not sure is just turn your fucking machine off and wait for other people to get the network going yeah but yeah i mean also the copy pasting does come into it you sir because a lot of people copy paste their way into actually running a fucking validator to begin with and they just blindly take orders from the devs and they say do this and people will go copy pasta boom double sign fuck yeah and and, and it's not oh, just devs like I, you, I mean you get you get bad advice in those channels from all sorts of different types of validators even very large validators that that might have somebody who doesn't necessarily or just pasting something that might work for them because of a certain reason but doesn't necessarily apply to all individuals um but it's not just devs and sometimes i mean that, that happens as well like project devs might not really understand the intricacies of how the signing process works and just like oh we're just going to make this and this and this and like no like you're changing the state and you're wiping the state file out and you've signed and so like just not understanding that structure because that's not really the dev side that's the chain side right the validator state file i think is yes. often understood the the fact that in the way the consensus rounds work it is an important part of consensus and if you just fucking nuke that guy, right, you're going to double sign, right, right, yeah. And, and like, and, uh, and, and people, yeah. I, I think that a lot of inexperienced validators assume, and I certainly did before, maybe, maybe as late as the the Lucina. T- I, I don't know. It would have been around around or before the Juno launch. Mm-hmm. I guess was probably the time when it finally clicked for me because i understood that there were you know what the polka was polka 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 the john candy mm-hmm. um was it home alone no that um, was uh polka, polka king. oh yeah it was it was home alone you're right you're right yeah mm-hmm. polka king of the midwest um but yeah the, the the polka that happens in tendermint the consensus rounds is called a polka sorry for those for those who don't know in the tent the tendermint consensus rounds they happen until there's a valid block um agreed upon right and they time out quite. They time out very quickly when they're they're kind of running. Each one of them is called a polka, and so I'm not just saying polka because I'm insane. I am insane, but I'm also saying polka. But I'm saying polka for a good reason. Anyway, polka, 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 polka. I understood the polka, but I didn't understand clearly enough the role that that played in in double signing, right? Because I thought until the block was agreed, you couldn't double sign. It had to be a malicious. Um, 
basically like like no 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 this is the block and obviously that's not blah 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 with the same key matter which is obviously very very hard to do actually when you stop and think about it you're like oh well the much more common malicious action is actually to interrupt and try and rewrite the state of the the consensus rounds right which is why you double sign in that scenario that's exactly why you double sign right because the the the, the other attack vectors open to you involve complicated cryptographic manipulation that may or may not even be possible where it's just like going oh yeah you guys will say it's round 300 well i say it's round zero and i have some different transactions right that's like yeah it's kind of obvious in hindsight in, in, in like ladies and gentlemen of the jury it was obvious in hindsight why we double signed um but yeah i mean it, it's i, I don't I, those things are documented but again it's all kind of like there's a lot of things to learn in Cosmos, so I don't even think it's just that validate inexperienced validators, it, insofar as it cannot be their fault. Like I at least understand that there is a lot to learn about this stuff, and I think it takes time for a lot of this stuff to sink in, like familiarity and all of that. I, I mean, if if there's no consequences towards it, then I just don't understand what the motivation is to understand it and to spend the time to. And understanding that means that you're you're becoming an expert in that craft. And there's a craft here. There's a craft in terms of understanding it and being able to run high availability and you know architectures. And there's a lot here. It's not just fucking a Hetzner box and 100 bucks a month, right? So, so if you're going to spend the time to do that, then I think then that should be rewarded. And the reward for that is by people who don't spend the time that pay doing that, getting tombstone and getting kicked the fuck out. And then they should not be allowed to be come back in. And there's rules and there's roles for new people. They either get tombstone and kick the fuck out or the ones that continue to, to be able to not find themselves stepping on their own, whatever allows them to be able to move up to set. So if you're not going to enforce the rule, why why have a fucking rule, right? Regardless of the structure of it. Right. So yeah, exactly right. Like near, for example, they, they don't take issue with double signing. They handle it instead by, if you if you're running like two validators, it's it's legitimate to run like two full validators at the same time of your same validator, and then only one will sign. And if the other one signs, then the other one just kind of it's great moseys yeah. along. Right. And I don't think that that's a huge issue. But if we're making this big claim that tombstoning double signing results in all these consequences, then we should enforce the consequences rather than then spending dev time undoing said consequences. Or totally agree. I think that you can actually disable double signing consequences. I think Akash yeah, actually has, yeah, yeah, I think Akash has it disabled. Fine. If we're not going to go by the consequences, then let's just not have it. Here's yeah, my, but here's my- just vote on it for fuck's sake. Like, yeah. don't just turn yeah. it off. <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like make make it part of the right. Make it part of the protocol. Don't just like just give a, everybody a fucking freebie on it. Here's my here's my thought on this. Don't fucking rug me. Um, here, here's an idea what we could do. Like, I think there's two issues here. One is this tombstone thing. The other thing we've talked about in this show in the past has been around like self bonding or validators just quote unquote dumping or just dumping all this type of thing. I I kind of think that the tombstone the slash should only come off the val. Not off the not off the stakers. So my my changes in this, Rama take notes. This is what I would do. I would make it where the slash comes off the validator, not the stakers. It would be on the percentage. So if it's five percent or ten percent of the total amount staked, and then that means the validator has to have the self bond to match that percentage. 
and that controls our VP. So meaning like if if I have 100,000 staked, I got to have 5,000 that's self-guaranteed on the validator that a lot that is, is my slash protection. And so all this bullshit around like soft slash protected and hard slash protected, which is total fucking horseshit 90% of the time, all that goes away because you can't actually stake to that validator unless they have the internal stake to be able to allow more stake on top of that. Now, that might totally fuck up the set. And then Usurper lifts the mask and Senator Warren. That's a good there. that's a good plan. I like that plan. Cause we because the idea would be maybe maybe the percentages aren't one to one. Maybe it's not like exactly five percent or it's a percentage of that percent or something similar to that. And maybe it's not a hundred percent goes to the val, maybe it's fifty fifty or it's two and a half percent from each all the delegators and two and a half percent from the validator. But you could figure out a percentage that says that we want to be able to see some some self-delegation from the validator itself. We want to have some skin in the game in that structure. We want to have the validator actually have some ownership of that, meaning like if they do get slashed, most of the time if they get slashed, it means nothing to them because they have nothing on the fucking validator. So like they, they're not staked and they're maybe, maybe they're staked individually or they're selling all that off. So like, does it actually hurt them? I, in some of these cases, I'm guessing it hurts them at zero at all. Like at all. All right. It just hurts the delegate. I, I, not the actual man, validator. I, I really like that idea. That That is a fucking There's gotta be idea. a way in there to be able yeah, to put the like onus on the validator. Number one, number two, force, some self stake. So they have some fucking skin in the game. And if they double sign, then they lose their own shit. It's not a delegator problem. This is an operator problem. And so what we actually have is the oper the, the, the delegators get hurt in this situation, not the validator. Cause most of the time they have very little self stake involved. They might have their own wallets on them. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bad mouthing that like we do as well and all that kind of stuff. And there might be some in there, Maybe some of those, maybe on some chains, they sell 100% of that off. So they might be sitting in number 10, but they have nothing in the validator and they're nothing in personal wallets because they IBC it all off, which means if they double sign, they have who gives a shit? Put me back in, right? Because they've already made that money. So there's got to be something in here because this this model right now, I think, is totally broken. So Usurper, I, I tend to um, agree with uh, Ben Davis. Uh, he says, I was going to say, 50-50 or everyone should have skin in the game. And yeah, I believe that, that as well. Possible. Like, yeah, I think you could have a mix of um, what you're saying as well as what is already in place in that delegators need to get slashed so they learn their lesson, right? Don't fucking for, do research. Don't delegate the shit validators. Um, <laughs> but also, yeah, I think that you could greatly increase the liability of the the validator, and I think that is a great way to make sure that they have self-stake um, in yeah. blocking delegation unless they yeah. have enough skin in the game to be slashed for any misconduct. And so, if somebody's in the top 10, they should have enough self-stake because they're showing that they are dedicated to that chain, right? And I yeah. I, just, I get I get the whole idea around like having personal wallets and all that kind of shit. I, I understand some of that. Um, at the same I think point- it's, I think it's perfect. At the same point, there's plenty of ways. Like we do the same thing. We got a, a fucking box of fucking ledgers here. You can have validators on hard and hardware wallets. There's no. It's there's safe ways to be able to run that. There's no reason it couldn't sit on a, on a centralized wallet as well. So I think I think there's there's something here that that maybe we can dig more into because I, I it it just seems like it's really broken now. Um, and right now, I don't think there's any motivation for right now. There's no motivation for the validators not to double sign. Like it's there is there. It's public humiliation, and they get called out, and and the fray gets to roll his tombstone video and all that kind of stuff. Like that's like literally, I think this is the hardest hitting double sign. 
Is this it? Is there any other like mass, maybe Twitter and this? I don't know if that's it. That the only place that people get called out for the fucking tombstone. I don't know if that's it. <laughs> Might be it. Yeah. Yeah. So like Probably. it just it doesn't seem like there's just enough. There's not a like if we're gonna if it's gonna be a rule we want to have some structure around it, then then we should do that. So I I think I think usurper your idea is a really interesting one. I guess I think it's is also interesting and scary because you go, well, any any regulation that comes down will be focused on proof of stake from the point of view of Ethereum. And then we're gonna end up with weird being in the weird position as Cosmos validates where every chain can set its own rules which they already can obviously mm -hmm. but it's going to be increasingly interesting to operate as a proof of stake validator as things sort of shift as i've always said the second regulators work out wait the fuck you can just fucking rewrite the history yeah what they're going to just fucking come down like a ton of bricks and every validator yeah. and proof of stake is fucking dead um but my actual thought the one that I think is more pertinent to this is like as various folks have said in the chat as we were talking about with akash um as rama said you know some has zero slashing do we actually think slashing is even necessary at this point like is it downtime slashing yeah we should have that that makes sense but the slashing for um for the double sign the reality is these are not coming from attacks they are coming from incompetence almost always incompetence or or upgrade failures that result in a double sign and we're all validated we're all, most of us are validating networks where there are no consequence for a double sign a valid block is minted and the chain moves on yeah so because because double sign is actually not all that related to double spend it's a penalty for submitting evidence that is wrong mm -hmm. from the point of view of consensus well, but yeah. consensus keeps going on because consensus has, has already got the 67% in order to say that you were wrong. Right. And so what's the point of slashing for a mistake rather than like arguably our most important thing we should be doing is keeping up time. Right now I'm, I'm of the dissenting opinion that I think anything above, let's say like 80 or 90%, that's plenty. It's not like you lose uh, any sort of staking rewards for missing a block. You don't. We've shown that. So as long as you're keeping the chain going, then we can miss, you know, 10% of blocks or whatever. Fine. Why is a mistake punished more heavily than like what our actual job is supposed to be?